This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Paul. Hello, I'm Marissa. And we're going to talk about The Simulacra, a 1964 novel by Philip K. Dick. And um, uh, I, I thought that this book was called The Simulacrum. But oh, I keep doing that too. <laughs> it's annoying, right? Uh, bacteria. Yeah. bacteria. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that Philip K. Dick is right in complaining to his publisher, uh, I think it was Ace Books, about the title change. Uh, because this book really isn't about the simulacra in the book, I don't think, as much as it is about uh, his original title, which was uh, The First Lady of the United States or something like that. Ah, I like this oh, yeah, title better. It, it, well, this title's more science fiction-y. Yeah. I mean, I mean, back then, first, yeah, The First Lady of the United States, something that as a official title would have been very science fiction-y, but yeah, but... The simulacra as a title is more science fiction-y, but yeah, the, the simulacra themselves aren't really the focus. I mean, Nicole Thibodeau. I wish they were. But they are kind of, they are in the background, really. Like They're in the background. That's, that's Without that, then everyone wouldn't have the same problems they're having. You know, there's there was a tiny little hint. <laughs> I don't know if it was an accident or it was supposed to be like a profound thing. Right near the end, uh, when... They're thinking about the the chuppas. Is that what they're called? Chuppers. The mm-hmm. Chuppers, the Neanderthal guys, and they bump into one of them, and and it says uh, he made a closed circuit reaction in his arm or something like that. And I was like, Hey, is he supposed to be? A- <laughs> Are they simulants as well? Are they? Androids? Yeah, there was a couple things like that where I think when they drove away from those choppers as well, like one oh. of them was talking to them, and then as they drove away, that he said something like he he seemed to turn off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and he can't drink a beer, right? Yeah. So. But I don't I'm know. Sure. I think it's, he was just playing with language. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I, I found I found the actual line. Okay. Cause the chopper seemed unable to meet Nat's gaze. He regarded the floor, clenched and unclenched his fists in a closed circuit light by passing spasm. I can't, the chopper finally managed to say. However, he did not let go. He remained standing in front of Nat, still staring down and grimacing. Probably he was frightened, Nat decided. Yeah, so yeah, I think it's a. Marissa's right. Dick is playing with language about who and what are actual uh, robots or. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I think it's that more that the characters they live in a world with so much simulacrum. That's the plural, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that they're that they are just likening, you know, behaviors no, no, like that. No, no, simulacra is plural. Oh, simulacra is simulacra. Okay, yeah. So many simulacra. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're. It, 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 I think that's right. It, it, it's sort of a hint at that, but it's so undercooked that. Uh, you, yeah, I, yeah. So Dick lo- thinks it or thought that this was one of his best novels. <laughs> Again, um, yeah, no. <laughs> Sorry, Mister Philip K. Dick, but uh, no. No, no, this I'm is... with him. I'm with him. <laughs> really? What? Yeah, Uh-oh. I loved it. 
Really? Because I was going to say, this is possibly his worst novel that I've ever read. (laughs) No, I don't know. I really liked it. I want to hear the defense here. (laughs) Well, I guess, I don't know. I had to stop the audiobook about three quarters of the way through and read it. Mm -hmm. And then it just seemed, it totally just, all the little pieces started looking so um, well-crafted and put together and everything kind of just came together. Well, that's what he he was saying too. Like that, he he was kind of proud of the fact that he has so many characters, um, and he keeps them all. So it's it's like juggling or something. Like he's got yeah. all the characters, and he's, I mean, he's so skilled at keeping all those characters in mo in motion. That's and I would say, you gotta, but they're you just going in circles, you know. <laughs> yeah, I think I counted because I was trying. I had to write stuff down because it's so confusing, you know. I was like no, <laughs> making notes, and I think it's like. There's like 20 characters or something, and about 10 of them are like key characters. <laughs> it's, yeah. so... it's a very populated novel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I... so what, what, what was it that you know made you say I love this? Um, I think it's the way like because when I first started listening to it, I was like, all these people are just kind of running around madly, and it doesn't really make a lot of. It's not really connecting. But mm-hmm. then when I reread it. And just seeing how they, how everything, every single character that interacts with another character in some way is a plant for the next part of the story. And I don't know, they just all affect each other. Every single subplot affects the other character's subplot. So I think that's true. And it wasn't, it wasn't like a terrible book. It was just Uh not, not up to snuff in terms of, uh, I didn't feel like I walked away carrying a whole bunch of new ideas. I I spent a lot of time like psychoanalyzing Philip K. Dick. <laughs> yeah, you like to do that anyway. Yeah, but like there was more time to do it here in this one is what I'm thinking. Well, I, I really like the world as well. Like the settings stayed with me. It's in this pretty. One. It's pretty um, strange mm-hmm. and interesting. But the, the, but there there are parts of the world which are well developed and other parts which mm-hmm. aren't, which goes to the whole sometimes undercooked portion. I mean, it's a very it's a complex it's a complex, complicated world where we're not quite sure what the geopolitical situation is anymore. The Warsaw Pact is now based in Poland, so is Poland ruling the Soviet Union now? And mm, yeah. and, and, and we, and we have we have. We have space travel, but to get there, you generally get into a cranky old <laughs> ship and hope you get there. Like that kind of reminds me of a uh, of Heinlein more than Dick, as far as you know. Like, let's let's build a rocket and go to Mars just for the heck of it, rather than having it and be not, a standardized surface. <laughs> not just rockets, but what, they're like hovering Jalop- eggs. Jalopy. Yeah, but they're yeah. like egg shaped with little like jet <laughs> jet fueled eggs. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I do want to talk about the psychoanalysis because I got pretty deep on it, considering how how much time to think about it I had. I, this is a relatively long book, eight eight hours or so, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I I think I like I like oh I nailed it. <laughs> I was thinking like okay, so why is why is it the world the way it is in this book? Um, the first lady of the United States is a powerful figure replacing the president. And her husband, the president, de, de Alter, which is German for the old man, mm-hmm. um, is uh, replaceable, right? 
but he's also a, a he's sim- elected a, basically. He's elected, but not really. He's constructed based on the yeah. But, yeah, uh, but it but sounds like their elections are rigged, right? Mm-hmm. And and they replace him more frequently every four years, but she's a permanent fixture, right? Right. So yeah. to me, this is Philip K. Dick saying, you know. My current wife's a, my boss, and she's had husbands before me. She's going to have husbands after me. <laughs> <laughs> and we're all just <laughs> interchangeable. Yeah, she's, and she's so powerful, and he's like, oh, I guess I got to do what she says. And my emotions aren't real. Her emotions are real. <laughs> but, but, the, but here we get into some some stuff I actually like in the book. But it's okay. So that's that in itself would be a fine idea for a science fiction novel then or now okay the first the first lady's really ruling the country and mm-hmm. the, and the first man is selected every four years but it's it's artificially constructed so people really aren't voting for choice but then we get to peel away the onion layers and the first lady isn't even is an actress who's mm-hmm. who's who's taken the role over uh again and again um which kind of so reminds what's me. going in these people's minds like if she's been the same woman for 70 years, I mean, in Canada, we, we've got the queen. She's been queen long before I was born. She was queen, you know, during, well, just after World War II, right? She was alive during World War II. She's still alive and she's still, you know, the head of government. I get that. But she gets older. Like, you look at her on the money now. She's a little older than she was when I was a kid on the money, right? And her right. coin if you look at the old coins she's she's quite young right now she's like an elderly lady D- wouldn't the people of the united states sort of clue into the fact after a certain amount of time has passed yeah that they're even talking about it at one point aren't they yeah and i think that what's so undercooked is uh is that the society is so profoundly different than our uh, the surface look at we we get at it with through these characters that like they don't have books oh, they yeah. don't have knowledge about anything right, right? yeah that's I gotta, that's I gotta how quote. it works i think yeah but we don't like we don't like sort of sit with a couple of characters watching tv who aren't the main characters and and sort of say yep that's exactly how things are you know we don't see it fr- from a a question uh, an unquestioning point of view that all the all the characters who are in motion are sort of projecting into the other characters' minds, but yeah. we don't sort of see it from the the normal societal point of view. But it and is so hinted we don't, at. It totally is hinted at. Like that, they're right. like uh, one of the characters is kind of trying to like break away. I think when he's um, talking to the the jalopy guy, he's like, "This is your you know, this is your one chance to get out from underneath this system and and get out of here." Yeah. And then once he decides to stay, that's kind of it. He's like back into the the mass psychosis or whatever they're all under. Well, and, it's, it's, uh, it's not only that; it's it's a societal control. I mean, you you have this two tiered mm-hmm. caste system. The the the, the guests are, mm-hmm. are are the ones who really know what's going on or think they know what's going on, and they're the ones, the only ones who really even get the history books. I mean, the vast majority of the USEA society doesn't get to read history books. And so yeah. they just get fed. They just, they just get the fed television basically. And who controls the television? Tele- oh, the first, the first lady. But the television, 
isn't entertainment either. It's education, right? It's, Which it's a, she says it's educational, but I think it's really it's, it's her like it, hobbies it's, and her <laughs> right. It, it's like let's watch Nicole. It's like what the, yeah, what the, what she it's wants. Brainwashing. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, and the thing that got me right at the beginning, right, the very thing that starts it off is like it was Nightmare World because to keep your apartment, it wasn't like in the last one with the con apps, right? Yeah. In this one, with the con apps, you to keep your apartment, you have to pass the the like the social studies test basically right. um and i was thinking well that's not so bad i kind of like social studies but then i was thinking about this world a lot and i keep thinking about how that test would actually you know what questions would be on those tests and it wasn't it was actually like it seemed to be that there was different kinds of tests and one of them like she'd been talking with some deep sea divers or something and you had to like know the numbers like how yeah. deep they what the pressure yeah. was or something yeah. like that um, but uh, so I would say, you know, what he didn't do there, Dick didn't do there that would have like reinforced sort of a glimmering seed of an idea that I think he planted was that this this is actually um, revisionist history all the time. So, you know, the, in that case, you know, the deep sea diver thing overnight, that's just sort of busy work to keep people, um, you know, in fear of losing their homes and, and sort of studying for things that really don't matter so that they don't question things like, you know, why is this society run this way? And what, what happened, you know, where, where did the constitution go and that sort of thing? Um, and, and that reflecting that in our society or in American society, uh, I think was, would be very interesting. And then thinking about today, how, you know, today there's, political correct terms for everything and i was thinking that if if that was what was going on that because if you lived in sort of a stalinist version a slightly more stalinist version of this story you know the the politically correct answers are only on the tv that night and then the, so you have to you can't have studied last week for this exam right you have to restudy every night because there's <laughs> new politically correct terms right so the new product um, yeah, and so uh, like uh, in an unrelated but somehow related uh, search I did of Wikipedia for something yesterday, I noticed there was this term. Um, what was the the political? It wasn't the uh, oh the euphemism treadmill, where you you start calling something something. For example, retard. Right, retard is a very unpopular word today, but it was a euphemism for meaning for slowed right and then we replaced that with imbecile and moron and idiot and these were technical terms right and now those are all pejorative terms and so we have to change it to uh, differently abled or whatever it is and ultimately you know those what sounds like um attack words were not even originally that in fact the word shit which everybody thinks of as sort of a shitty word <laughs> to use, was a, a euphemism. It means to cut off, right? Just like, you know, apparently now toilet is very unpopular as a word to refer to the bathroom. <laughs> but it is a it is a euphemism, right? So yeah. if that was the society, and I think it's sort of hinted at, that would be a nightmare world, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, this is definitely dystopia. Yeah, yeah, because thing, things just keep changing, and you just have to spend all your energies just making sure you you catch up, so you don't get thrown out of your nice little Abraham Lincoln uh, 
apartment building. And and the only other option is escape to another planet, right? And, and even that, theme, is that, that's under threat of being closed down at any time. Hmm? But this theme of him, Dick, Dick always seems to have it now that I think about it. There's always people going off world, right? So in um, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, <laughs> the only only the losers and the idiots stay on Earth, right? Or the people who have, you know, some sort of high-powered job that, you know, is slightly compelling them to stay. Mm-hmm. But it's actually a fairly similar universe in this world to that of Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, just seen from a different point of view and with a slightly different society. Because, mm. you know, th- when you leave when you leave Earth, you're going to be alone on Mars, probably. But you'll have a bunch of sim- uh, simulacra with you, right, to service you. Yeah, and that's well, true. That, oh, that's, that, 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 that's that, androids. Yep, yep, that, that, parallel, that parallels into... Uh, to Android Stream Electric Sleep Slash Blade Runner. Like, oh yeah, you'll have you'll have a you know you'll have people of your own a worker of your own to help you. But there's more there's not it's not just this book. There's many others where he sort of does that where there's you have to leave like you have a choice. You can stay on Earth or you can leave and go to the off world colonies, right? And that, I was thinking like, is this him saying, you know, I can stay in this marriage or I can drive off across the country. And notice the things that they when when he's getting into the spaceship, right? Uh, he's thinking about getting the jalopy, and he, he needs to get off Earth that day. What does he need? He needs a, a warm jacket and a, like a packed lunch. Something. Like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not like uh, he's bringing everything, right? It's just you know just enough to get away. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a of... lot of this book. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, okay. I was just gonna say that there is a lot in this book about uh, quick divorce as well. Did you guys notice that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> everyone. Yeah, and it's they like regrets the, like I gotta go back. Yeah, 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 just like overnight divorce. It's like people waking up and they're like, "Oh, that's right, I divorced my wife last night." That's right. <laughs> wow, yeah. I hate I hate that because she cooked so well. She knew how I like my eggs. <laughs> and, then, and, and, and then she doesn't want to cook for her brother. It's like I'm not cooking yeah. anymore. It's like <laughs> no. she's she's sick of that. No, but I was thinking of uh the frontier thesis. Are you familiar with that? Mm-hmm. No. Let's hear it. Oh, um, Frederick Jackson Turner. He uh, he uh, theorized that the uh, the existence of the frontier had a profound effect on American democracy and the evolution of American political culture. In other words, having that place for misfits and people places for people to escape society that safety valve. Oh uh, yeah. And and that when that closed, then society's going to change radically and he was at, he was writing this as the frontier was starting to close it, in the dick novels then he's reopened this whole new frontier mm-hmm. now in real life space hasn't turned out to be a frontier for humans in mass to go anywhere but in the artificial worlds of Philip K. Dick it, it's practical and in a mm-hmm. lot now I'm thinking about it a lot of science fiction from the 1940s through i don't know the 70s at least it mm-hmm. that, that was the default yeah yeah we're gonna go to space we're gonna go we're gonna go off world that's the final the final frontier to use the star trek term yeah it, it doesn't seem to have really turned out to be that way but in the in the context of these novels i think they're either explicitly or implicitly working off of uh turner's 
Turner's thesis, which mm-hmm. also goes to the whole the whole dominance of uh, America in the general run of most Western science fiction. Now, now that now that that's been closed off, you notice there's a lot less lot lot less of that in science fiction these days as as going off and will go colonize the solar system and then the universe, especially the universe part. But in the era that Dick was writing this, yeah, get in jalopy, get in that egg thing, and go to Mars. Yep, that's where you can go if you're the yeah. misfit. That's fine. Or to escape Nicole Thibodeau's little repressive society. I don't know why people don't try going to other to other uh, countries. That's, that's yeah, they don't seem to be, they don't seem to exist, right? The the closest we get to seeing what they're like is like Canadian bacon exists. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah, so it's just like. <laughs> that's what's, it. I mean, I mean, we know we know there's been wars, but it's just like it, it's very insular. Like this U.S. and nothing else, and you're and you either jump out of the goldfish bowl into Mars, or you stay in it and uh, get to f- learn whatever Nicole wants you to learn. I mean, it seems like even just going to another apartment complex is like a really big deal for them. Huge, yeah. Yeah, they Remember haven't even. When yeah. the kids, they're they're gonna play another another uh, I don't know football against or something yeah. against. Uh, another apartment building they're really worried what the kids will think that what if and i i mean i think this is a satire novel right yeah Uh, because it's like if the kids don't if the kids realize that everybody's telling them that their apartment building is the best one in the world (laughs) then they'll be really upset it's like yeah Yeah, they're like maybe if they play with children from another apartment complex they'll realize everyone's just the same that's right (laughs) that'd be horrible (laughs) <laughs> how, how could we live with this, right? Yeah. Um, the the theme of um, Germany being somehow incorporated into the United States and just West Germany. Yeah, yeah. I think it's kind of fun because it. Um, if you guys seen the latest season of Homeland, is entirely set in Germany. Uh, no, I haven't. Nope. Yeah, and Marissa, you've you've lived in uh, Berlin, right? Uh-huh. Apparently, there's a huge English-speaking population there, right? Yeah, there is. Um, and and having this, you know, American television show entirely, you know, I I think this is almost unprecedented. It, American television is kind of strange because everything <laughs> has to. No, I mean seriously, come on, it, it it is really strange because anytime a series from outside of the United States become popular. It has to be redone in the United States, right? Because Americans won't understand it. If yeah. It's apparently, you know, has English accents and, uh, you know, it's a prime minister. What's that? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I have to remake House of Cards because <laughs> we can't understand these, you know, the parliamentary system is just strange. So well, yeah, when. And usually, and usually the remake is inferior to the original. Usually, but not always. But the, the important part is they have to remake it, it seems like, because. Everything, I mean, has there ever been, this is a question, has there ever been an American television series that was set outside of the United States in a, and, and I'm not saying like in outer space, okay, Star Trek's, uh, I'm just saying like in the contemporary world, I, I think it's like almost completely unprecedented. The closest we could think of is like, like, uh, what's that, when we're, one of the guys from... Uh, the Sopranos goes and lives in Norway or something, right? On Netflix, 
that that's like not a <laughs> that was a Netflix show, right? Because Netflix is international. I'm saying like an American television series that was set outside the United States. It's almost like impossible to, to imagine. But they've moved it finally. Like they've sort of tricked Americans into seeing like a little glimpse of another country as like just a continuing series of you know somebody is a, a, look. There's an American living and she's having a perfectly normal life well, except for all the know adventures outside of the united states is like almost unbelievable interesting yeah that that's an interesting thesis well that's that goes to the america is so great and america is the center of the world and everything else is kind of uh secondary and important why would you want to set a series american series set in vancouver or london or berlin why why do that america's perfect well, that, the the other option, right, is to increase America, right? You add – because at the time, right, that this novel's written, this is just after, you know, the Berlin airlift where, uh, you know, the president goes to uh, – uh, JFK goes to uh, Germany and says, you know, ich bin ein Berliner, right? Um, the president is claiming to be a Berliner, <laughs> Um, and it almost is if, you know, it could at that point be added as an extra state or, you know, at the time of the Philippine conquest, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they were considering it. Should we add the Philippines to the United States? Right. And, and, and Cuba. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All, all of these sort of, you know, ex- the expansion and, you know, the foreign inclusion and all that is just so weird to see a world here where Germany or at least part of Germany, is suddenly incorporated into the United States. And then this really fits with Philip K. Dick's sort of Germanophile sort of weirdness right. that's going on in this book. Where, you know, I mean, we haven't even touched on the fact that time travel apparently is very easy. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Talk- and uh, how many, why, why is it, why do they always pick um, this guy? Uh, what's his Gearing? name? Goering. Yeah, why do they always pick he's, Herman Goering for science fiction novels? Because he's, he, because, because, okay, I'll explain why. Because looking at the, uh, I mean, if, if you're gonna go, if you can pick any German out of the Third Reich, your choices are Hitler. I mean, and Hitler is a monster. You got people like, uh, I, you, you got some of the uh, higher up SS and Nazi Himmler officers, Himmler and Goebbels, and and they're all monsters. Goering is, I mean, I mean, yeah, he's he's no. Uh, He's no prize either, but at least he looks like he's – how can I say this without offending all our listeners? He looks like he's having fun. I mean, <laughs> he, he's being bombastic. He want, he, I mean, he 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 wants yeah, he to was build his little, little palace and stuff. Yeah, he, well, I know. I know. It sounds horrible, but it's like he, <laughs> he, he knows how to use power. Let's put it that way. I mean, he he enjoy, yeah, yeah. He's, he's not joyous. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, I want to build – I'm gonna bring bring in lions and build a build a new Rome and all that, all the, all that crap. It's like, at least he knows how to be an autocrat. And he's got style style to it. I mean, he's not a grimless functionary. He's more Caligula. And we're yeah, always yeah. interested uh, in people like Caligula because they look because uh, they're so colorful. They're monsters. I mean, Gary. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm no fan of Gary, but at least he's a monster that's actually interesting to interact with. If I had mm-hmm. to have dinner, yeah. if you say you have to go back in time and have dinner with somebody in the Third Reich, I so it's I the Philip Jose Farmer novel that uses him. The oh, it's a series, right? The Ripper World. Yep, 
Yep, the river, 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 river will grab some too. Uh, exactly. Too much. Your scatters, scattered bodies go is the first one. Yep. And uh, uh, it was. It was interesting to, you know, hang out with Hermann Goering. But on the other hand, I, it didn't go anywhere in that, as far as I can tell, the River World books really didn't go anywhere. They just sort of go down the river. And it, yeah, that's the I, same thing as this book, right? Like, that's my complaint, Marissa, is like, why is Hermann Goering in this book? I mean... It's interesting. I'm just not flat. Like, why is he there? Yeah, that bit was really weird. And that's from the um, the short story, right? Uh, I don't think so. I don't, I don't, so. I don't know if he's in that. Um, it would seem to be... Uh... I got the feeling that was like a transplanted plot. Like, just like, let's just put this whole other thing going on in the side of this book. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And I, I, I was kind of unsure at some point whether this... The simulacra and the and the time travel were connected. I thought maybe that they were like not bringing the actual body of the person, just their sort of uh, copy of their mind. Which because we never we never see you know the machinery of of this time travel. We only hear about it sort uh-huh. of secondhand. And so I thought maybe like that wasn't really Herman Goering's body. But it sounds like they killed him, right? They executed yeah, him. Yeah, I think it is. It didn't affect, time, didn't affect time uh, at all, right? But, they but said, yeah. oh, this shows how unimportant he was to the Nazi regime. But yeah. they're looking to change time. And, and and there's this whole bit with, okay, we all, both both sides or multiple sides in this, I guess, to use a, use a phrase, palace intrigue, they all have time machines. They're all trying to gate gain the upper hand by looking forward in time and seeing what people are doing and trying to counter all those moves. It's like a chess game with time machine. And you could have a whole novel just based on mm-hmm. that. And it's here's an undercooked subplot in this book, which kind of first we say, okay, you have all this other stuff. And they're like, oh yes, we have a time war going on. That's what it really is. It's like a, that was hilarious. Band. I mean, this, this book is, <laughs> this book is hilariously. It's so funny. I think that's the thing that I always want. I want more of everything in it. Like I feel like I've read like I want more of the six time books. War. <laughs> yeah, like, because what's that, the guy, Galtz, who's doing all the uh, the time travel, he's even running into himself, right? Like, yeah. he's like, yeah. <laughs> he's going ahead to check out what happens in every possibility, and then he's running into himself from other times, checking out those times. And <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. I know, it's just like, well, we've seen a little time travel before in Philip K. Dick, mm-hmm. uh, but th- in this time, it's we're, it's just the first time we really get like almost like a conflict between a lot a lot of time travel. I mean, I mean, in uh, what's it saying? The we did have time travel going back to uh, to San Francisco Bay and going into the mm-hmm. future. Well, oh, brain brain slipping uh, the novel that we did. Yeah, uh, was that the Zelazny Co? No, 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 was, no, was no. I can't remember which one that was. But yeah, was good what book. was the? <laughs> What was the one with oh, the Native Americans where he's right, – that's that, got that that's time the, travel. Right. That's the one I'm thinking. Um, yeah. And the it was uh, Drake. <laughs> so it's Drake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which <laughs> all my dick books are blurring into one now. I'm what? Time Pond. Oh, yeah. I'm Bond. Dr. Yeah. Futurity. Dr. Yeah. Futurity. That's, that's the one. What, that's the one. Dr. I'm, Futurity, yeah. yeah. Right, right. Time Pond's where you forgot just, he was right. a doctor. Right, Dr. Futurity. So – so and wasn't that did, world kind of similar as well with the apartment po- complexes and 
that was the that was the future world that every it was a utopia that you wouldn't really, wouldn't want to live in oh, because yeah, it that's was, right. was the um the uh everybody's life was you, you get like a hangnail and then they they kill you right. <laughs> it's, it, oh it's gone to sepsis uh, we can't we can't help you oh <laughs> uh, yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> um the 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 world that is most like this in the condos is um the man who japed right where, oh, where yeah. you're planning to stay stay inside the apartment buildings and and you have to pass all these tests and yeah and and, and the in the apartment the control clothes of the apartment are all powerful and you don't want to offend them yeah so mm-hmm. in, in here again yeah like i mean the, the guy the guy's afraid of the of the pop quiz and it's like Mm-hmm. It's just like such a weird, baroque, compli- overcomplicated society. But I, one of the things I do like about Dick is in a lot of novels, the, 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 the future society is relatively simple. You go through forward. It's like straightforward progression to one to one conclusion. Whereas here and in a lot of those novels, you, you're dropped into a society where a lot of bunch of weird things that don't quite all work together are because that's the way the messy way society really mm. is. I mean, society history isn't a neat order of conclusions. You do have weird, have weird inconsistencies in even our own society. I mean, if you just took a look at all the governments around the globe, you have everything from democracy to weird little, little totalitarian hermit kingdoms and and yet we're all all together on this planet, and it just makes no sense that it's all such a shock a block. Or even look at American political culture, just yeah, from, yeah. from the left to the right. So and that's the way society works. It's not mm-hmm. even yeah. smooth continuum. It's all like weird things interacting, and Phillips K. Dick's societies are like that, although they're all Baroque, weird, alien things. And looking from the outside, it's like none of that makes sense. Yeah, it, it does. Uh, it does hang together. Um, this novel does hang together. It just, um, I think it hangs itself. So in the sense that I, I, I like what I'm seeing. I, it's just none of it was quite developed enough to, to leave me like, I, I, I kept coming back to, I'm psychoanalyzing Philip K. Dick. Like, this is so obvious that this is about his marriage and this is about his idea of like, I've got to escape or, well, you know, maybe she is right about this. And like jug bands. I mean, come on. This oh, is yeah. like, so <laughs> about his own life. Right? It's like <laughs> nobody would think put jug bands on. At the White <laughs> House. It's crazy. Jug, jug, jug band plays the White House could be the name of a story. <laughs> um, so one guy we haven't talked too much about, and I want to talk about him because I think uh, it's hilarious. I, I tweeted you guys at, about him. Richard Congrosian believes that his body odor is lethal. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's a delusion. It's a delusion. I didn't realize it was a delusion at first. He has no body odor, but mm-hmm. he also has telekinetic, telekinetic abilities that allow him to play the piano using only his mind. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a great and, and he's afraid of becoming invisible. Which apparently is a thing in this world because he's not the only one, right? Wait, who else? I'm not oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, um, it the um the the Paluka? No, what's not Paluka? The Chuba? No. Chick. Uh, when Chick is gonna, he's thinking of leaving Earth. You mean? 
and yeah, he's yeah, talking yeah. about I think he's just it's more like he's just feels like he's invisible because of the yeah, but culture. It's the same well, thing. Yeah, yeah but not physically. Well, I guess, but this is how it this is how just like in that, you know, the description of the chupa having, you know, a closed circuit uh pattern in its arm or, you know, he turned off or something like like that is that's the way Dick's mind works, right? Is that he says, how do I know she's not a robot? Right. And he says, well, she's so mean. She can't be a robot. Okay. She's an actor. Got it. <laughs> and then he says, he says, well, that may, I guess I'm a robot then. Right. And that explains my lack of emotion in this situation. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and then, you know, okay. It's the palupa. Right. So the insectoid alien from Mars called the palupa. <laughs> He's awesome. Is I extinct. Love him. It's extinct. So these yeah. are simulants, right? Uh-huh. But the Ganymedean multicellular life form that is used uh, to uh, in a, in, in a mo- moist environment can record, record your stuff. voice. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah. that's real. Okay. Yeah, the palupas are fake. And the... And, and I think one of the palupas says, am I invisible or something like that at one point? And, but they're, they're being controlled, right? And then... Right near the end, there's this weird thing where uh, a, I think it's a palupa uh, is hiding the like the wheel well of the car or the foot well of the car, and they shoot the palupa because it's an advertisement, and then no, the cops. Yeah, that was no? the little. It's called the the nits. Uh, I can't nits. remember nits yeah. something. That's the little crawling advertisements. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and. So that that thing about you know they shoot the advertisement to make it shut up, uh-huh. and then they come over and seize their weapon. And say, were you shooting at us? No, we shot this ad. Oh, okay, that's fine. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, the thing is, is that that satire right there, and the fact that the reason that uh, Richard uh, Congrosian thinks that he his body stinks is because of the advertising that is so pervasive, and oh. for a person like Philip K. Dick, who uh, and we're all like this. It's just I think he's a little hypersensitive and self-knowledgeable about it. That when you hear a statement like, I've had sex with 755 women, you, a, a thought goes through your head, really? Even though it sounds like preposterous or like um, I, I've met uh, three presidents of the United States. None of these things are true, right? But... Mm-hmm. On first presentation, it sounds like a it, – it, the, the default is that it's true. And commercials that say, you stink, <laughs> the, the default re- response is it's true. And if you hear it enough, you know, you're going to start to think, I stink. Yeah, I think that's what this book is more about and, and that explains why the culture isn't questioning why this woman Nicole is in so long because I think it's all about like brainwashing – Exactly. They're all yeah. they're brainwashed by these little nits things and the TV, and I think also they're all on this kind of uh, chemi chemical therapy. Exactly, psychoanalytic kind of drug, right? Well, I think he's basically one talking. Left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one that's allowed, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think everyone's just kind of stoned and brainwashed. And <laughs> yeah, and just accepting of uh, of, yeah. of of the society around them, and and if they do figure it out, then the only real choice they have is to get into lobby and go to Mars. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is 
uh, especially true this this um the the theme of Richard Congrosian's body odor um, to me is like the heart of the book. And the reason what? for that is, I know it sounds really strange, right? But the thing is, is I'm sensitive to uh, scent. Like if you're wearing perfume, it'll give me a headache. I, some people, my mom might say she's allergic to it. Um, you know, it, or it causes her to be unable to speak, right? Like, so it is restricting brain flow, uh, water, not water flow, oxygen flow to her brain. That sounds to me like, uh, yeah, her lungs are, you know, filling up with liquid and she's unable to, to me, it just gives a headache and makes it hard to think. Hmm. So I, I haven't tried it. I, I haven't, you know, done a, uh, a test, but I would sus- suspect I'm allergic to, uh, to, that sort of chemical. But the thing is, is everything's full of it now, right? So Tide is really pervasive. It's a very commonly uh, used detergent. It's perhaps the most commonly used detergent. And it has a, a scent that once put into clothing will last like 60 washes. Wow. Which is insane, right? But that they they put it in there so that you don't smell bad or you you can't it masks the odor of dirt or whatever and people associate for most people that's a positive association but actually it's not the active ingredient that cleans your clothes right so the perfume that's added to things for me is a huge issue and nobody else sees it as a huge almost nobody walks around saying you know uh, perfume is a huge issue. It's something our society has to change. They're thinking more about, you know, gender equality and that sort of thing. Me, I'm like, no, uh, <laughs> we've got to stop perfume because it causes, I like, I, I walk around like, uh, not touching door handles. <laughs> not oh. because I'm afraid of germs, because people put perfume on and they, they touch those door handles and then it transfers oh. to my hand and I can't get rid of it. Oh, what a pain. <laughs> Wow. It is a shame. Wow. And the thing is, is if you are inured to it because you're wearing it, you can't smell it. And you can't smell anybody else either. Because I can smell things like, I don't know, a block away. <laughs> I feel like I'm Philip K. Dick, you know, like I have psychic nose powers or something. I have a psychic nose power for one specific thing, not perfume. What's Ketchup. that? Ketchup. Ketchup, interesting. I could I could smell ketchup from strangely long distances. That's the only <laughs> thing too. I it's bizarre. It's like I'm saying this like I can I can smell. It's like you're eating something with ketchup, and it's like someone behind me, a couple of kids, like, how did you know? It's like it's smelling. Oh, that's like, impressive. Oh, you guys have interesting superpowers. <laughs> it's not, <laughs> kind of a crappy superpower, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah I don't think Superman's going to be calling me to the Lord of Justice anytime soon. <laughs> we but need the, someone who can smell ketchup from a mile away. But the upshot, the upshot of this is that for, for Richard Congrosian, his, his issue is not that his body stinks or that he's, you know, he's in, he wanted to have sex with his mother and his father prevented that or something. It's not psychosomatic. It is that he's so sensitive to the advertisement that is always telling him you stink and you need to have, uh, masking products on. And the thing is, is, I think secretly, and not secret, I'm saying it now, uh, the general public is in the United States and Canada and probably in a lot of other parts of the world, very, uh, brainwashed by this fact. You know, um, the, 
start counting them. The number, uh, if you if you can watch regular television, start counting the number of commercials there are for uh, products that clean your your clothing, and you will start to notice things. I can also just point out that soap opera, right? The term comes from the fact that the soap companies were the ones that were uh, sponsoring those programs. Oh, is that where it's from? Sure. (laughs) And the fact that, like, you'll see Tide commercials or Gain or whatever, you know, the top three are um, on television during, like, football games and stuff like that. That's not because, um, you know, the product is so revolutionary and they need to just let you know about it. It's because if they keep this up, people just naturally assume that they need to have uh, this stuff in their laundry detergent. And it's hugely profitable because soap is incredibly easy to make. And it's very cheap. So it's one of those products that you hammer home the need for it. You create the market for it. And yeah. it works year That's after what... year. It's yeah. not like a car, right? Where you kind of need it to go from place to place and you don't really need to advertise. The only choice is which car company. Here, mm-hmm. the manufacturing of the need has created the need and artificial uh, need yeah yeah i mean the thing is is people do stink right people can stink but um products like uh you know deodorant uh, which is the one that's being advertised in here is uh something you don't need unless you're not going to be showering yeah well i think philip k dick talks about this kind of stuff a lot and his other books this kind of this kind of fake creation of desire where you're, I think it's similar hmm. like in right. Do Androids Dream where everyone needs to have the, the pets, you know, like you can just right. make a whole population believe that they really need to save up their money to buy something that's completely worthless. And, and their whole <laughs> self-worth is tied yeah. up. Yeah, their that. status and everything. Because, oh, my sheep's not real. I can't let anybody know that. Yeah. Right? And so uh, what what was so funny to me is like Richard Congrosian is kind of like the um, the Dr. Blood Money of the previous book that we oh. did, right? Because yeah. he he's sort of wandering the the wandering the reality like with a albatross tied around his neck, right? Everybody's looking out, and <laughs> he's going to this. Him or Adam, yeah, 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 and he's he's uh, going to the psychiatrist, right? Trying to get things straightened out because uh, of everyone hates him. In this case, the hate is is false. But in escaping to Mars, he has the potential of becoming free of mm-hmm. all this horrible advertisement that literally jumps in your car and starts yelling at you about the commercial that it's been <laughs> so sponsored. It's horrible. Weird biotech, yeah. And then what did you guys make of the Neanderthals? Again, yeah. we're throwing in stuff. Just for the heck of it, and it sounds it sounds like they're going to be the ones that are going to inherit the earth after mm-hmm. after, after we uh, all nuke each other. It's like, oh, yeah. the end of the end souls will get a second chance, so to speak. The chuppers chuppers will get their chance. Like, wait, what? What? What does this have to do with anything? It's just like random stuff. I mean, I, I would think that more like whoever's this this count. I mean. This political, these political factions are going to, but one of those eventually come up on top. Like, why, why the choppers? I mean, they're just Neanderthals, really. It's like I don't yeah. see how, why they're, why they're particularly well suited to survive in the post, the post nuclear environment. Besides, 
this is the Philip K. Dick universe. We'll get mutants, and the mutants will probably be the ones that take over. Kind of, kind of like that people in the Masters. I really felt in that part that he just read something around the time he was writing the book and was like, ooh, I'm going to put that in. <laughs> ooh, I have to have Neanderthals. Yeah. Well, what, one of the things, uh, there is a, um, a story, I think we've I talked about it before, there's a short story um, about mutants that uh, are like shaped like slugs. And they get like run over by uh, regular humans on the because they're they're slow, right, crossing the road. But they're like telepathic or something. And the thing is, is Philip K. Dick never said, you know, found a fact that he couldn't like try to question. And so the standard belief about Neanderthals that people have is that we evolved either we evolved from them. Or uh, they died because they were not as evolved as us. Mm-hmm. And, of mm-hmm. course, that makes no sense because that's not actually how things work. Uh, in, there's no, you know, more evolved uh, right. when it comes to things this far down the road. Um, it's a multicellular organism living in a niche. Um, maybe we killed them all because we have superior um, cooperative powers Uh or maybe they uh, were bred into us as a group. We don't know. But in this case, um, it, what seems to be a group of sort of sad sack um, uh, mental deficients, another euphemism, right? <laughs> um, it turns out that, you know, the reason they're so, uh, well, well, it's not clear. It's not made clear by the text that they are going to uh, enjoy the new world that we've destroyed right they're, they're not gonna it's not 100 percent made clear but that's definitely the indication yeah and and so what what could what circumstances would allow you to enjoy a future that is grim well if you're already kind of grim yourself and you're not expecting much that's the easiest way to live right so these yeah. are people who, who are in a shitty condition you know they live in rundown part of town they they what was one of them early on in the book uh was begging or something and he got a coin a silver coin yep. i think it was like a two dollar coin or oh, something yeah, like he wanted vegetables and they gave him a coin right and so that the fact that they're sort of downtrodden for philip k dick he's you know he's a guy who is trying to lift up the downtrodden and so See if that, imagine if that, sorry carry on no no go for it Oh, I was just going to say, I just keep on imagining if they were the simulacra at the end mm-hmm. who were mm-hmm. doing those little covert smiles and, you know, waiting for their time to rise up over the humans. I think mm-hmm. that would have fit so much better. Mm-hmm. These random yeah. Neanderthal thrown in. Random yeah. Neanderthals to, to inherit the earth. Yeah. It's, it's, it, I think it's, it's like, it, this is a, yeah, a stew where there's a lot of things boiling in the in the pot, mm-hmm. but and it has a lot of good flavors, but it's not his best. Uh, <laughs> it's not the best meal that he served it, because I, it it is a bit too jumbled in that there isn't one thing that I came away with saying, "Oh my god, this is totally new," and yet there's lots of good stuff in there. Yeah, there's so many good things. And with those Neanderthals as well, I love his dig at the. The people who are looking for Congrosian, the um, EME, ele- Electric Musical or, yeah, something. Enterprise, how they like see these new species and then they're like, 
Do they have any ethnic music that we can yeah. sell? Can you think for us? Yeah, <laughs> we can record it. Before yeah, you're yeah. gone. And Before then, the, yeah, the woman's like, please don't record the children. And they're like, don't worry, if we take this to the courts, we're going to win. So you might as well just let us record them what? and sell them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, There's so many little funny digs at, at the culture in yeah, this book. There's digs, digs at big corporations versus small corporations and German mm-hmm. conglomerates and also, all, also, all, sorts, all sorts of things that get, uh, get a little... Uh, dig in here and there it's like dick seemed to enjoy writing this but even if there's no real coherence to it so it's like i'll just throw this in i'll throw this in and next thing you know you have 20 characters and 10 plots and it doesn't quite go anywhere it's almost like a almost like, yeah, it's, like, like a prism of this world rather than an actual yeah through line it is yeah. but and it's but it's all held together by this um Dr. Egan Superb, who has the coolest name ever. Right. <laughs> a lot of good names in this book. Yeah. Right? Strike Rock and... Um, uh, Rudolf yeah. Kalbfleisch, and it's like... Nicole Thibodeau. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it's all held together by this Dr. Egan Superb, and um, what's his name? Wilder Pembroke, the... Right. The um, NP commissioner. Right. So the MP, I, I was thinking military police, but I don't think that's right. What is it? Uh, National police. Okay, NP. Okay. Yeah. Um, right. Okay. So uh, I wanted to. I I don't think I've told this story about Philip K. Dick before. Maybe I have, but um, I read in one of his biographies, uh, or maybe it was on an interview with him. It probably wasn't an interview because it's not all that flattering. But at one point, probably around this time. No, uh, this ties into what, what else the book is doing, other than being a psychoanalysis of his own marriage, right? Um, I think that the relationship that we have in looking at Nicole and her husbands, right, and the government is Dick was genuinely interested in politics, but he never came at it from a, you know, uh, whatever the the dominant view was. So, you know, in the JFK assassination, he's not going to, you know, go with whatever the mainstream is and of course there was lots of different ones on that one but uh when he heard about the communist pl- uh, you know threat he looked around and yeah he knew some communists but they didn't seem like much of a threat um so uh, sometime in this period he wrote to the fbi about um about communists and who he thought was a threat because he's interested in what's going on but he he he's he sometimes write flattering letters and sometimes not flattering letters hmm. to the FBI and eventually they just came by and interviewed him. Hmm. Uh, did you guys know about this? Because it's really funny. I no. know about where they turned over his where, where he thinks they turned over his house. Is this the one? Yeah, oh, well, okay. this is around the same time he had um, uh, what he thought was a break in. Somebody blew up his his safe, which was actually just a like a locked filing cabinet or something. <laughs> And went through his papers or saw something or something. Probably it was just he thought it was at one point bikers. Um, he thought it was it, it was uh, drug addicts. Um, might have been the FBI. And he also thought maybe that he did it. <laughs> yeah, I love. I remember that. it. Yeah, which is funny. But so this is um, around the same time, and they actually came by and interviewed him. Well, yeah, I think this was an interview for a different reason because that probably that that wouldn't have been the FBI for that particular. Um, uh, item, um, but he did write a bunch of letters to the FBI, and uh, they did come by and interview him. 
And the upshot of it was that he became friends with one of the FBI agents and he, that FBI agent taught him to drive. Oh, wow. <laughs> so oh, you've got this situation where like, you know, he's writing about threats to the government, right? And so like, you know, I'm not hundred percent sure about this, but I think Donald A. Walheim might be a communist because every time I submit a story to him about blank, he, he really likes it. And, and this is sort of in the paranoid phase, right? Because most of the time he's quite generous, it may be too generous. And, but every once in a while, you know, he sees something on the news and he's very sensitive. This guy, mm-hmm. he, he sees something on the news about, you know, communist plot. Maybe, you know, some communists are arrested for stealing whatever. And so he, he gets in into my, you know, I'm going to help out because just like in his books, the population in the United States is rather unpopulated, right? You know, there's like, and no matter what novel it is, there's about, maybe 30 or 40 people in the entire society. <laughs> yeah. So he has to do his part. And so when he writes these, you know, long detailed letters to the FBI, they, they have to kind of respond, right? Because what if it is a real threat? And because he's not a stupid man, right? His letters don't, they're not just thrown immediately in the, in the crank file. They, they eventually get put in the crank file, Right. Because they realize, yeah, he, he, you know, in that interview when he comes, he said, oh, yeah, no, I don't think that anymore. I think, um, you know, she's not really communist because she she really likes uh, selling her jewelry too much and she wants to make a business or whatever it is. Right. And 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 the FBI agent, you know, sort of comes to dismiss this guy as, you know, a, th- a threat or having any potential information, but kind of likes Philip K. Dick. And so, yeah, they <laughs> become friends. He teaches them to drive. And when you see the, the NP men, right, the, who, whose job it is to act sort of like the FBI and, uh, and the Secret Service in this book, they're also, you know, charged with executing people <laughs> and stuff. Um, it, you get sort of an, an insight into when Philip K. Dick is at home, he's at, he's at work, right? Mm hmm. And he's reading the newspaper and he sees what's going on, you know, break in at Watergate and, you know, this is happening and that's happening. That's all grist for his mill. Right. And Mm -hmm. he's participating in it. And when he isn't writing novels, he's writing letters to the FBI because his mind is always going. And so he thinks that this is one of his best books. Marissa seems to like it quite a lot. Yep, I, I do. would say it's a terrible uh, Philip K. Dick novel, but <laughs> it, it's still a pretty good science fiction novel. Oh, it's so fun. Is I would, it is fun. And it, funny. It, 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 it certainly entertained me, even, even if it didn't all quite come together. But, I mean, it wasn't a boring world by any stretch. No. But, but it was just like, okay, what, 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 what plot line is really the real plot line here besides besides we're having it is an a prism as you were saying yeah it's, right? a, pr- it's it, a prism just to see through all these different refracted colors and not a, a, a clear uh, coherent beam but that's 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 okay i mean i've been enjoying going through all these philip k dick novels with the two of you and 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 yes listeners we will continue to do so sometimes mm-hmm. sometimes, sometimes you hit the heights and sometimes you get stuff that's okay <laughs> that happens the thing <laughs> And I think I think the simulacra is a thing. I I, I I didn't notice any boobs in this one, but there were there what? was at least there was I didn't definitely notice any, boobs. 
Was there boobs? There was um there was a lot of high rise boobs apparently. Like I don't know what that <laughs> what that phrasing is. <laughs> she had high rise <laughs> high rise breasts. Well, that must and be then, a condo thing. <laughs> there's this funny bit where one of the guys is realizing that Nicole is actually meant to be like 90 years old or something. Like when he kind of wakes up out of this. Yeah, she's been in office psychosis. for seven years. Yeah, and he's like imagining her all old and it goes straight to her breast. He's like, well, her breast will be all like wrinkled. And <laughs> <laughs> it's like the first thing he thinks of. <laughs> I guess I guess what it was is there was no like quivering breasts or anything. It was it was they were just like talked about rather than. You know, yeah, there was a few. They were they were poking out every now and then from. But there was I was gonna say, I even wrote one down like in, early in the book. One of the first things is like her breasts protruded divinely. <laughs> wow. wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Philip K. Dick definitely did write this book then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's clear. We have marriage problems. We have boobs. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the one I also um, I'm noticing always now is is the coffee. There was a lot of coffee being drunk, no matter uh, what happens. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, no matter what happens, you know, there's some horrible conspiracies revealed on television. The newspapers are calling out somebody's drinking coffee and saying I need to refill or something. It's yeah. it is so funny because <laughs> because it's it's just you in reading these books. You can see his life, right? It's <laughs> go out, get the paper, see some lady across the street walking by, look at her boobs, go back inside, <laughs> hear the dog barking out the window, <laughs> yeah. uh, get to the typewriter, read the newspaper, uh, go to the coffee, get some, uh, go to the kitchen, get some coffee, right? My wife comes home. Why have you ever in the room? Oh, I guess I must be uh, like that now. <laughs> <laughs> so true. I think that's another reason I'm enjoying this one is because it's so familiar. Like all the, there's so many yeah, details yeah. in here that it's just like, oh yeah, I'm just hanging out with Philip K. Dick again. Like, yeah, he's obsessed with Germans at this time. Uh, you know, we we've had a few books where you know, just random German stuff has to be in, of the focus, and it's not it's not even like like of all the time travel. Like why why does because he likes German? Okay, he likes yeah. reading about German. <laughs> um. That's that's it. Is hanging out with Philip K. Dick. So I'll I'll definitely be up for more of that. Yeah, me too. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.